Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome to Revive the Drive. We're thankful that you're listening to us again today, and we're continuing our, in our series on the issue of homosexuality. What an important subject to consider today. Uh, it seems like every person has to think through how we can respond to a culture that is celebrating that which God calls sin. How can we love those who are enslaved to the sin? How can we encourage and help those who have same-sex attraction? Um, How can the church minister? How can we share the gospel? Uh, Last time we began talking about some specific biblical passages related to homosexuality because we believe that the Bible is very clear. Homosexuality is, or homosexual behavior, homosexual relationships, these are sins, grievous sins against God that keep us from him. And uh, so we talked last time about some passages primarily in the Old Testament, a bit in Matthew, but uh, now we're going to move on to the New Testament passages that teach us much about homosexuality. And the first is Romans 1, and Romans 1 is the cornerstone. It is the bedrock of um, biblical teaching regarding homosexuality. It's it's the passage that speaks most clearly and most in detail. It is the one passage that speaks not only of male homosexuality, but also female homosexuality. And so, Art and Daniel, why don't you lead our discussion on Romans 1? I had mentioned in an earlier session that um, homosexuality uh, tends to be part of the landscape of sexual immorality when a culture has distanced itself from the knowledge and worship of the one true God. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul makes it very clear that uh, God's wrath is being revealed against mankind because they are practicing such ungodliness, because they have denied uh, not only the Creator, but the worship and glory uh, giving of the Creator. And in Romans chapter 1, it indicates, Paul, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, indicates that uh, sexual immorality in the form of homosexuality is something that God gives human beings over to when they have denied his rightful place as their creator and the one worthy of their worship. Hmm. Well, let's, we, we mentioned before that our desire is to, to kind of see how people have attacked what uh, Scripture says regarding this issue, and, and this seems pretty clear. Right? I mean, it, it, it talks about the theological reasons that this uh, activity takes place. It talks about how it's a, a deviation from what, God intends, uh, Rich, you mentioned uh, a session or two ago about uh, the, the danger of talking about how other people approach Scripture, uh, false teachers uh, approach Scriptures. Mm-hmm. It can cause people to doubt what's pretty clear. And really for 
Um, the the vast majority of the church's history, people have read this and said, yep, I may, I may disagree with what Paul is saying, but I can understand what he's saying. It's it's just right here in the text. Right. Maybe uh, it would be helpful if I read a little so our uh, listeners don't have to pull out their yeah, pocket thanks. Bible. Yeah, thanks. Um, the Apostle Paul says in verse 21 of chapter 1, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. There's the worship and the recognition. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. In other words, they began to speculate about uh, what was proper uh, for practice and for life. And verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And then verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, again, a giving over. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Thanks, Art. Let me, me, uh, I'm almost hesitant to do so, but let let me kind of... uh, articulate the argument that someone comes as, as to with a orientation toward believing in the, the homosexual uh, lifestyle but also wants to believe in the authority of Scripture. Here's how someone would, and I'm, I'm reading from Matthew uh, Vines, who we, we discussed a few sessions ago, uh, an excerpt of his sermon at a Methodist church. He says, um, does this passage here, Romans 1, reject the possibility of loving relationships for gay people? And he, he goes on and he says, um, it, what, what exactly is it that, that Paul is, is condemning here? He says in the passage, Paul's making a larger argument about idolatry. That argument has a very precise logic to it. He says the idolaters' actions are blameworthy because they, they knew God. They start with the knowledge of God. They chose to reject him. And then they, they turn away from those relationships that they're naturally oriented toward heterosexuality, and then they engage in these lustful relationships. And so Matthew Vines here says, look, uh, he's not talking about what we understand as a monogamous homosexual relationship of two people who are oriented that way. Uh, He's talking about people who are uh, naturally heterosexual and then engage in these lustful relationships. How... How do we how do we respond to that interpretation of Romans chapter one? Well, I, I would respond. You know, we all can read. You know, we we all can read the text. <laughs> um, the text doesn't say any such thing. There's an um, abandonment. There's there's uh, you know there there are those who uh, take the scripture and read into it any idea that they desire to read into it, and unfortunately. Um, you know this this fellow has has chosen to do that, and and then readers who also desire to justify the sin, the very thing that Paul is addressing, the 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 uh, refusal to embrace the responsibility for one's own rejection of God, mm-hmm. 
and um, and give and give an open door, give an excuse uh, by which they can do that. Um, you know, this this passage relates to a rejection of God and God giving them over then to the natural course of rejection and. And it takes us back again to Genesis 1 and 2, doesn't it, yes. um, where God made them male and female. And to reject one's gender and one's identification uh, as that gender according to um, uh, God's design is the ultimate rejection of the creator who created us. Right. Uh, whether that is you know, a, a transgender individual um, or a, a homosexual individual, it's, it's a rejection of the God who created. Now, again, we're, we're sympathetic because we're born in, in mm-hmm. sin. We're part of this, this issue of sin, and, and that's why you know, when Paul writes, he writes as a sinner who's been liberated by the grace of God, and he recognized that. Um, but but it, it begins with an acknowledgment that, that I'm broken from the begin, beginning. Sin has ruined me, and I need a Savior um, because the natural inclinations of my heart will lead me away from the Creator and from the Creator's good, right, joyful design mm. for me as, for instance, as a man. And, um, and, and what's interesting, too, to note um, – is that at the end of that passage uh, in Romans one twenty eight and following? It says, "Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and and is there any more basic acknowledgement of God than His design as male and mm. female for mm-hmm. us? Um, That's good. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, and He gives this list. And so we want again our, our hearers to know that." Um, in having a, a session of Revive the Drive on Homosexuality, we're not saying that it is the one sin that, that is um, uh, horrible and, and soul-destroying. It's, it's among many, and all of these sins are serious. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this series because this sin seems to be more celebrated and that the pressure to celebrate it is, is intense in our culture. But he, he goes on to say, um, they were all filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God, um, God's righteous degree, that those who practice things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Mm. And and so, um, you know, in in the midst of this context of talking about homosexuality, there's there's also this expression of all manners of unrighteousness by which we express our rebellion against God. Right. John Boswell is a scholar that uh, many of our listeners may have heard of. He, uh, as far as I can tell, in the research that I've done on this issue, no one before John Boswell, I believe he wrote in the maybe the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, had ever looked at Romans 1 and said, yeah, Paul's not condemning homosexuality. There were things they were doing with it, but trying to explain it away, but no one was ever arguing that he wasn't actually condemning homosexuality. And I, I think one of the things that, uh, so John Boswell has approached Romans 1 kind of similar to how Matthew Vines does. Uh, D.B. Martin wrote a book uh, or an article entitled Heterosexism and the Interpretation of Romans 1, 18 through 32, and he kind of took some of this, a similar line saying that uh, he opposes homosexuality simply because it involves excess, uh, excessive desire. I think 
uh, one of the ways, and we alluded to this in a previous session, uh, previous edition of Revive the Drive, uh, sometimes a person can say, well, here in Romans 1, and this is what Matthew Vines would say and others, uh, Paul is, uh, in this cultural context, he's against homosexuality, but that doesn't mean that homosexual marriage is wrong because the way that it was expressed in this culture was a lustful expression. And so because it's expressed differently in our culture, it's not, it's not wrong. I think an analogy of that would, would be uh, similar to what some people do with, with divorce. They say, well, yeah, in general, divorce was wrong in these contexts, but in my context, because of, of this aspect of how I feel or, or something, you know, scripture, scripture says adultery is wrong, but it doesn't say adultery is wrong if you really care about the person. In other words, it didn't expressly condemn my particular expression of the sin. Uh, therefore, it's it's not condemned in Scripture. Whereas we look at Romans 1 and say, no, you know what? Romans 1 is all-encompassing. And any type of expression of homosexuality you wish to engage in violates this overarching prohibition against homosexuality. And I think that becomes more clear as we look at some of the other New Testament passages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... and um you know, there, there's another professor of religion at Case Western uh, University who uh, also communicates some of these very ideas you mentioned. But at, at the end, he, he writes, Paul does not understand genetics and sexual orientation the way we understand it now as something much more than a choice. And, uh, you know, he's he's ultimately giving away everything that he's been arguing about this text. Right. This is ultimately he's, he's struggling with the text, and even the bare words – uh, make it difficult for him. He says, well, Paul just doesn't understand sexual orientation the way we do. It's kind of like a backup argument. Right, right. I'm saying that Paul's not saying what we think, it, but even if he did, he doesn't understand. <laughs> and you know, he's right. Paul doesn't understand sexual orientation the way he does. <laughs> so, um, Yeah. And, you know, taking it back to uh, oftentimes we'll hear that uh, Paul was the only one that spoke on this. Um, obviously, Peter and Jude mentioned it as well as we referenced before. But uh, there's often uh, the argument that uh, Paul and Jesus were not on the same page uh, in this debate because Jesus never really said anything. And I believe that uh, we need to give heed to what Jesus says in Matthew 19. Rich, you referenced it before. Uh, in an earlier discussion, but as Jesus is being pressed on his view of divorce, uh, Jesus again sets the pattern for the image of God and God's design for male and female when he says in verse 4 of Matthew 19, um, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and then for this and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God, Therefore God has joined together. Let no man separate. So I believe that Jesus did speak to this discussion by laying down God's design for uh, marital union, uh, by reminding us of what God had done in the beginning. Sure, and any time Jesus spoke about sexual immorality, it was uh, this broad general, general um, word that— uh, described all forms, um, and every first-century Jewish person they talked to would understand all those forms that were comprised within that one statement right. about sexual morality. So, for instance, you know, on, on, with the argument that Jesus didn't expressly 
condemn homosexuality, you'd say, well, he didn't expressly condemn incest or child molestation or mm. um, you know a host of other kinds of sexual perversions that Leviticus talks about. Right. Um, and yet, yet uh, his a lack of specific reference to homosexuality is is not a failure on his part. It was understood by the audience at the time. Right. That's good. Well, the uh, the other passages, and we may just uh, touch on these uh, very quickly. First uh, Timothy, uh, chapter one, addresses uh, the issue of, of homosexuality and a list of of uh, uh, condemning uh, the, those who are lawless. Uh, he talks mm. about the lawless, the disobedience of First Timothy one ten. He says the sexually immoral, and then he says men who practice homosexuality, uh, and then in First uh, Corinthians. Uh, chapter six, mm-hmm. you have this list of. Uh, it says, "Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be see- deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will, in- will inherit the kingdom of God." And the argument that some make as they come to these texts is that the word uh, "homosexual" isn't a, a literal translation of of what he's describing there. Unfortunately for that argument, a literal translation is uh, even more graphic in describing what's taking place here. You know, mm-hmm. men who are lying in bed with with other men, and so it, mm-hmm. it seems uh, pretty clear, even if, if Paul wasn't using the same terminology that we do, that he's he's describing this practice and denying that it's yeah. an, an orientation. Yeah, the the standard classic accepted Greek dictionary, uh, Arnton Gingrich, states uh, this word refers to a male who practices homosexuality was the use of this word in extra biblical literature of the time. So he, he uh, again, it's it's not a, a dictionary mm-hmm. that has any particular axe to grind on this subject. It's just recognizing this was what this word meant in extra biblical literature right. uh, during the time the New Testament was written. And I, I do think that it's important to notice as we look at 1 Timothy, 1 Corinthians, and Romans that uh, the issue of homosexuality is brought up where in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's not expressly stated. Uh, and I believe it's because, well, wh- who are the audience right. that, that are hearing Jesus, for instance? Well, it's Jewish people who who understood biblical sexual morality Good. Good. Uh, versus those in Corinth, you know, those in, um, yep. in, in Rome. They had this very problem, so Paul – felt the need to specifically reference it because this very problem was a specific issue in his day. That's helpful. I think uh, there's a, a beautiful, uh, several beautiful things about 1 Corinthians 6 that are worthy of note. Uh, the first being that homosexuality is among other sins, both sexual and non-sexual, that are right. uh, practices prohibited uh, or prohibiting one from entering the kingdom. And again, we talk about the fact that salvation and the gospel severs the stronghold of sin over the practice of the one believing it. And and so that's the first thing for us to note is that uh, homosexuality is among other sins that are condemnable, and we need to remember that as the church. But we also need to remember the rest of this passage where Paul says, such were some of you. In other words, there were homosexuals. Uh, there, there were those who had formerly practiced same-sex union uh, in the church at Corinth who had, as Paul says, such were some of you, but you were washed. In other words, they were f- 
forgiven. They were cleansed by the blood of Christ. And he says, but you were sanctified. In other words, that means set apart, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And so there were those who were formerly immoral people, uh, some homosexual uh, practicers who had been saved, and now they were no longer practicing. Uh, They had been forgiven. They had tasted the grace of God, and they had been set apart for God's glory. And and what a great message for anyone listening that may be struggling mm. with uh, same-sex attraction, that in the gospel is not only forgiveness, but the power, the indwelling power to overcome those temptations to sin. Yeah, and, and the church is filled with people who Still have, today. whose past was engaged in all kinds of sins. Amen. And, you know, it's been said the the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Amen. You know, that's We all come there on our knees and unworthy beggars. So. Well, let's let's develop that a little bit in the next session, too. Okay. Just this idea of uh, of former uh, sinners and, and the idea of, uh, I think one of the real weaknesses of the, the pro-homosexual movement is it's kind of a biological determinism that this mm-hmm. is... I can only operate in a certain way. I think I think that's yeah. a really interesting thing to delve into further. Yep. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to Revive the Drive. We trust this has been encouragement and a help to you. May God bless you.